Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we've been led already to think about uh, not just who you are, but where you are. As we sang about our Father's house, and that there there is a place for us. And singing, uh, when he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. And so we recognize right now you are on your throne. You are seated above all things. And one day we want to stand before your throne, and we know that we can only do that if we are counted righteous in you. So I pray this morning that we will have a, uh, a longing for heaven uh, that, that maybe we haven't had before, because we know that it will be in heaven that uh, we will be holy forevermore. So thank you for that promise. Uh, help us to see these things in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first place I want to draw your attention to is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And we're going to think this morning about this idea of holiness forever. About how one day uh, this curse that we live under, this curse of sin, and all its effects, and all of its struggles, and all of, all of the things... Um, you know, this fight that we're involved in, as we've talked about all weekend, uh, will one day come to an end, and it will come to an end because we will be victorious in that fight. God is holy. He really is holy. And I hope you've seen that this weekend through what we've, what we've looked at. And, and God makes a way for us to be holy. But in spite of that ability that we now have to be holy, we also have to admit that sin really is fun. Like it really is. So God really is holy and sin really is fun. Both of those things are true. And Hebrews 11 makes that point in talking about the life of Moses. So Hebrews 11.24, the author says that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, choosing that rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So, so what, what about sin is mentioned there? What, what, are the, what are the characteristics of sin? Sin is, it's, it's fleeting, okay, but it's also pleasurable. Like, sin is enjoyable. The author, this human author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit guided him to write that sin is pleasurable. Sin is enjoyable. Sin is fun. But for how long? Not forever, right? It's passing. It's fleeting. It doesn't last. And we ought to be more concerned with enjoying things that give us pleasure forever 
and not just pleasure for a short time. And so when, when the psalmist says uh, that at your right hand, O God, are pleasures forevermore, we ought to want those forevermore pleasures more than we want the fleeting pleasures of sin. And if we know Christ, we have a desire for both things. We have, as, as uh, we saw in Romans 7 last night, we have a want to do away with sin completely, and yet we're drawn to it because we know that it's also pleasurable. Now look at verse 26. where it goes on to say that he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. So Moses had it made in Egypt. He was comfortable in Egypt. But he saw that that Egypt's pleasures were passing and to follow the Lord was going to bring him pleasure Forevermore. So we must deal with both of these realities. And I want to spend some time this morning thinking about those pleasures forevermore, the holiness that is in heaven forever. And, and in our songs this morning and, and throughout the weekend and in our talks, we've, we've emphasized holiness. But even those songs and those talks uh, have kind of come and gone. Like we've, we've dropped them, then we've picked them up later, and then we've dropped them again, and we've talked about other things. But there is, a, there is a song and there is a conversation about God's holiness that goes on all the time. All right, so go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And verse 8. Revelation 4, 8 says that there are four living creatures and each of them have six wings and they are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say. So there's something that they say that they always say. They never stop saying this. And what is that? Here's what they say all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So there are, there are creatures in heaven who all the time are singing about what? God's holiness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And this is the same uh, song that we saw these creatures singing in Isaiah. So we spent some time in Isaiah recently, Isaiah 6. Sam pointed out, uh, this out to us the other night. Where you've got these creatures and they have six wings and they're singing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and so the whole earth is full of His glory. That's the kind of holy God that we have and that is uh, the song that they are always singing. So even when we sing about holiness, we're just joining in one that is happening all the time in heaven. And one day we get to join that chorus in heaven. So this morning, in your notes, I want to give you six promises about the permanence of heaven, about the forever and eternal nature of heaven. Six promises uh, about the holiness that goes on for us forever. There one day, there will be a day when you and I will no longer struggle with sin. And I am looking forward to that day. So, To look at these promises, I want you to go a little bit ahead in Revelation to chapter 15, and this is where we'll spend most of the rest of our 
time. So Revelation 15, to see these six promises about the, the permanence of holiness. So, so again, last night on our session, Gavin mentioned positional holiness, where we stand before God as righteous because of what Christ has done. But then there's progressive holiness, where we're continually growing in the likeness of Christ the more that we walk with Him. And then there's perfect holiness, which comes one day when we get to heaven. So we're going to talk today about perfect holiness. All right, six promises. Here's promise number one. The wrath of God upon the earth against sin. The wrath of God upon the earth against sin will one day be finished. It will one day be finished. The wrath of God upon the earth against sin will one day be finished. So Revelation 15.1, John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, and it was seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. They're, they're the final ones. Because with them the wrath of God is what? Finished. It's done. There's no more. God has, at this point in Revelation, seven more plagues to pour out on the earth in a future time of tribulation. And when those plagues are given to the earth, God will have no more wrath to pour out on the earth. So you and I, right now, we live in a world, we've always lived in a world, where we have to deal with the consequences of sin on the earth. We call it the curse. The Bible calls it the curse. There is a curse against sin on the earth that you and I live under and we take part in. And God, in different ways throughout history, has poured out His wrath on the earth because of that sin. And He'll do so in a great and final way in the future. But when He's done, it's done. There will come a day where God's wrath on the earth will be completely finished. Now, there are this, this could get... Um, Somewhat confusing if you think too technically about it. So we'll try to clarify some things. Because there are a few different ways to think about God's wrath in the Bible. Okay? Uh, is there a sense in which God's wrath does indeed go on forever? Okay? How so? Okay. We believe that, that hell is forever. And that hell is, is a manifestation of God's wrath against unbelievers that does go on forever. So, so if you look back in your Bibles to, uh, to Revelation 14, so probably just on the previous page or up above where you're at, Revelation 14 um, and verse 9, John says that he sees another angel, a third, following the first two, and saying with a loud voice that if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up. How long? Forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So yes, in hell, God's wrath goes on forever against sin, against unrepentant sinners. So that, that, would, be, that would be a type of God's wrath. 
That's not the type of wrath that's talked about in, in chapter 15, verse 1. That would just be against the earth and its inhabitants in this age. And John says that it one day will come to an end. So all these plagues will be poured out, and it will, it will one day come to an end. There, there is a third aspect of God's wrath uh, that, in a sense, already is finished. And this is where it should get very encouraging uh, for those who are in Christ. Because God's wrath against the, sin, the sins of believers was completely satisfied where and how? At the cross. Against His own Son. Poured out on His own Son. So the book of Hebrews talks about a sacrifice for sins that took place once for all. It doesn't need to be repeated. You and I don't have to pay for our sins if Jesus already has paid for them for you and you have trusted Him to do so. We don't have to keep paying for our sins. So in that sense, if you are in Christ, you and I don't have to... God's, God's wrath against our sins is already finished. There is no more to come. Jesus took it all. He paid it all. We don't have to pay it ourselves. On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. We sing that sometimes, right? You guys want to sing it now? I want to sing it now. Alright, can we sing this verse? In Christ alone... Who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, until on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Amen? Alright, God's wrath against sin, against our sin, the sins of believers is already done, and one day it will come to an end on the earth. That's promise number one. Promise number two. The people of God will be victorious over the enemies of God. That's promise number two. The people of God will be victorious over the enemies of God. So, Revelation 15 and verse 2, John says, Then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast, and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So throughout Revelation, we know John is just getting one vision after another of of Jesus' plan for the future. And so he comes to a point where he, he says, God's wrath is about to be finished on the earth, and as that is finishing, he sees those who had conquered the beast. Okay, Who do you suppose would be those who had conquered the beast? All Christians, right? All Christians who have overcome the enemies of God. The beast in Revelation uh, is is the uh, lead man, so to speak, of the final enemies of God. All right? So if if you look back at uh, in 1 John, so just a few pages in your Bibles, 
So 1 John and uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. Let's actually start in verse 2, okay? 1 John 4 and verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. All right, so there's a, there's a spirit of Antichrist that says Jesus is not God. So, that conflicts with what we believe. So, who overcomes? Here's what verse 4 says. John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You have overcome those lying spirits because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, if Christ is in you, you have overcome those who oppose Christ. And we don't... Like we talked about repeatedly this weekend, we don't always feel victorious, but Revelation promises that one day that victory will be visible, it will be seen. We will overcome because Christ has overcome. And, and, then, and then how do we overcome? So, so Gavin again talked about this being a fight. How do we win this fight? What's our primary weapon? Look at 1 John 5 and verse 3. Uh, verse 4, I'm sorry. 1 John 5 and verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. And what is it? Our, our faith, your faith, what we believe overcomes the world. And then verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who does what? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, so if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the weapon you need to overcome the enemies of God. Your faith, our faith, what we believe, what we confess, what we hold on to when the world would tell us otherwise and, and all our circumstances would seem to be contrary to it. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when John sees that vision in Revelation 15... He says, I saw those who had conquered the beast. And they didn't do it with weapons, they did it with faith. Here's promise number three. The songs in heaven will celebrate the holiness of God. The songs in heaven will celebrate the holiness of God. So these who have been victorious are around the sea of glass and they have harps in their hands. I don't know how to play a harp, but apparently one day maybe I'll be able to. And verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... All right, so here's the words to the song. So if you want to learn the song in advance, here are the words. Verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are 
your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, because you alone are holy. You alone are holy. And all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So in heaven, we already saw it with the angels, now with those who conquered the beast, as they sing in heaven, they are celebrating and singing the holiness of God. Now, verse 3 starts off by saying that they sang whose song? The song of Moses. Can you remember a time where Moses sang? Go back to Exodus, and hold your place in, uh, in Revelation, but go back to Exodus 15. So from Revelation 15 to Exodus 15. Fifteen, verse 1. Then Moses... And the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And so for the most of chapter 15, you have Moses leading Israel in a song. They are singing to the Lord. Now, why are they singing? What had God just done for them in chapter 14 of Exodus? You can flip back and look if you don't remember. They had crossed the Red Sea. God had opened the sea, God had parted the waters so that they could pass through as He shielded them from their enemies, and then He had brought the waters back over their enemies once they were being followed after they had made it to the other side. God had delivered them from their enemies. So so the song starts off in chapter 15 and verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then go down to verse 11. We won't won't go through the whole song, but go to verse 11. And here's what they sing about. Here's what Moses leads them to sing about. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? All right, so, so who of Egypt's gods is like you? None of them. And then he goes on, Who is like you, majestic in holiness? There is no one holy like our God. Who is is like you, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In verse 12, You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. So again, people singing, this is, what, what we will do in heaven is like what Moses did with the with the Israelites. They had just been delivered. They had just, in a sense, conquered their enemies. And now they are singing. Isn't that what we see in, in Revelation 15? They conquered their enemies and then they sing. And what do they sing about? They sing about God's holiness. And, and, it, and, and they'll do it in a way where they will be unhindered from sin. So I, so I love singing with you guys. But when we, when we sing together now... Uh, we're doing the best we can to express ourselves in, in our very limited and sinful ways. But one day, that sin won't hinder our singing to God. There will be a day when we will be completely freed from, sing, from sinning 
And it will allow us to sing in a way that we've never sung before. And I want to sing about that with you. Can I sing about that with you? You know this verse? The last verse of, uh, that we sing of um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Okay? Sing it with me. Oh, that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Full arrayed in blood-washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace Oh, come on. Here we go. Can we pick it up? Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass. For I know thy power will keep me until I'm home with thee at last. Oh, now you're in spirit. I see how it is. All right. Yeah, oh, that day when freed from sinning. That day's coming. Promise number four. Every nation on the earth will be represented in heaven. Every nation on earth will be represented in heaven. You see this in, in, uh, again in the song that they sing. They call God, O King of the Nations. And then there, the last part of verse 4, Revelation 15 and verse 4. You alone are holy, and so who will come and worship you? All the, all the nations. So, I would suggest that this means that the songs that are sung in heaven won't all be in the same language. We, we will sing in our tongue, and we'll probably learn other tongues. Now, here's what's going to be great about heaven, among a billion other things, is, is that you and I can always be continually learning new things. So, right now, I'm pretty limited. I can barely sing in one language. But I'll have all eternity to learn how to sing in all kinds of different languages, and to join in songs that I don't know yet, but can learn. Because all the nations will be there. And, and, and so the worship that we're doing, it's, it's Sunday morning now, right? Um, there is worship taking place all over this country in buildings and, and probably even outside some places. And some in public and some in secret. But they're gathered for the same reason that you and I are, because the worship of our God isn't just limited to groups like this or events like this or churches like ours. Uh, it's, it's, what is it, Grant, uh, seven hours or so ahead of us in, in Budapest? Six. Six hours ahead of us. So, so, so earlier today, while you and I were hopefully sleeping, um, in Central Europe... You know, and, East, and Eastern Europe and, and in that part of the world, um, there, there were churches who gathered, 
who sang songs maybe like this, maybe not like this, and they opened a Bible like ours just in their own language. And again, some met publicly and some met in secret. But we will worship with them in heaven one day around the throne and we'll get to sing with those brothers and sisters. And we can teach them some of our songs and they can teach us some of their songs. And none of us will have to meet in secret anymore. And you won't have to go away to an event like this to to catch a glimpse of, of the glory of God like what we see here that we miss a lot of times at home. Because the presence of God's glory will be with us and surrounding us all the time. And so this is why we make such a big deal about missions. This is why it matters to us that we give our money and we give our time and we give our lives and we give our our effort to go to parts of the world where people don't have the gospel because we will worship alongside those people one day. That's promise number four. Promise number five. We will join with the angels who are known for their holiness. Number five, we will join with the angels who are known for their holiness. So Revelation 5, or sorry, Revelation 15 and verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. So, so the, the, the holy of holies, as it were, in heaven, the place where God is in heaven... The door of that tent was opened, and verse 6 says, Out of that sanctuary, the seven angels with the seven plagues, and these angels, it says, are clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. So these beings, so when we think about creation, normally we think about the seven, uh, you know, six days of creation, seventh day of rest. We don't think a lot about the creation of angels, but God made an entire species of being solely for the purpose of having them worship Him in His presence all the time. And in order to do that, they have to be holy. So there are angels who don't know sin. Now, they are not God. They are are not exactly like God. They ought not to be worshipped. So we see even in Revelation, uh, John sometimes will will fall to his knees and worship the guy who's showing him all these things. and And the guy says, stand up. Worship Him. Worship the one I'm showing you. Don't worship me. I'm just the messenger. So, so these angels, though, they are sinless. And so, so we one day will take on that characteristic of angels. We don't become angels when we die. But we will be like the angels in our holiness. And so God has created a specific being of, of creatures who just worship Him in holiness all the time. And we will, as I said earlier, join their song. We will sing Holy, holy, holy to the Lord forever. Promise number six. This is the last one. Heaven will be filled with the glory of God and His purified people. Heaven will be filled with the glory of God and His purified people. So, Revelation fifteen seven. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary 
until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So let's just paint what's going on and then let's compare it to something else that happens in Scripture. As John said back in verse 1, there are seven angels at this point in Revelation who have seven more plagues to pour out on the earth. And when they do, the wrath of God on the earth will be completely finished. As he's doing that, though, what fills the sanctuary? Verse 8. The sanctuary was filled with... What? Smoke from the... From the glory of God. So that no one can enter it while all this is happening. Now, this should sound familiar because if you remember back from the end of the book of Exodus... Moses had been instructed to build a sanctuary for God. And when it was finished, to show that it was finished, God entered into that sanctuary, entered into that tabernacle. And what happened? It was filled with smoke from the glory of God because his presence was so great. And while the smoke of the glory of God was in there, who could go in? No one could. Not even Moses. No one could enter. And so as long as God's presence was in the tabernacle, everybody just sort of had to stay there. They couldn't go in. They couldn't move on. It was only when the smoke of the glory of God went up out of the tabernacle and went in front of them that they knew, okay, we need to follow him now. He's taking us somewhere. Then they could go in and out of the tabernacle. But as long as God's presence was in there, they couldn't be in there. Well, Revelation 15.8 says that no one could go in the sanctuary filled with the smoke of the glory of God, until the seven plagues were finished. Which probably means that when the plagues were finished, what can people do? Go directly into the presence of God. Which means they can only do that because they are pure. They must be pure to do that. Moses couldn't go in where God was because... God was glorious and Moses was not. So for anybody to be able to go into the most holy place where God is, they must also be holy. So heaven will be like a a large holy of holies and God's presence is always there and His glory always fills it. But instead of being prevented from going in, you and I will be allowed in because we will be completely holy. No taint of sin anymore. And heaven will be completely filled with that glory of God and with His purified people. So we have two choices. We can continue to pursue the passing pleasures of sin. And if we do, we will continually be disappointed with what they produce. So I I confessed it at the beginning, guys. Sin is fun. I get the draw to it. I I run to it far too often just like you do. And, And every time I run to it, and it deceives me over and over again, I think, man, this is so dumb. Like, why would I keep going back to this thing that promises to satisfy me that never does? And so this is why it's really, because the other option is, okay, so we can keep running back to those passing pleasures, or we can pursue holiness together. 
So, so again, Gavin mentioned this again last night. I know I'm, I'm repeating a lot of what's already been said because it's so good. This weekend has been so good. Um, we must pursue holiness together. All right. I, I'll be honest. I am not strong enough to fight sin without you guys. All right. I need you all to help me. And I think we need each other. So, so the reformers talked about this idea of the perseverance of the saints. If you are truly in Christ, you will be kept in Christ forever. Which will enable us to persevere to the end and be preserved by Christ all the way till the end. The way we would express that in a song is we would sing something like, He will hold us fast. Alright? Can we sing that together? Do we know that one? Father, I pray that we will hold tightly to you because you hold tightly to us. And I pray that we will long for the day that we will be free from sinning and we will see your face. And, and that our fight against sin together will be motivated by the promise that one day this fight will be over. Not because we've been defeated, but because we've been victorious. Lord, it's a lot easier to fight when you know you're going to win. And so we want to have the confidence knowing that we're going to win, not because of our own, eff- our own efforts, but because you have already won for us. And we simply want to join in that victory march with you. Thank you for these promises. Help us to rest in them and to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen.